Let's again pray. Lord, as we come now to open your word, we ask that you would bless your word. You tell us that your word will not return to you void. So we ask that you would keep that promise here today. And Lord, may we see your sovereignty in all things and how you work effectively in the hearts of those whom we may think you shouldn't. And how your grace can be a very dangerous thing. Lord, bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word here this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing and take your copies of God's word and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Kings chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse 1 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 27. Hear now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. And said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper." Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you wash and be clean? 
So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company. And he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let it be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. When Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. When he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gazi? And your servant said, your, and, and he said, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the Lord of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we finished up with 2 Kings 4. We saw Elisha feeding a hundred men. We saw how a gift was brought to Elisha from a, a man from a town of Bel Shalashah. There was faith in this man, even though Israel, uh, even though Bel Shalashah was faithless. We saw God's word supplying the men what they needed. And then we looked at Elisha and his food miracles and Jesus. And we saw how the miracles of Jesus were greater, but how the the food miracles of Elisha would would point ahead to those performed by the greater prophets. And this morning we see again that Elisha is a prophet of grace. 
And we see that he is a prophet of grace to a great man, a great commander of the army of Syria. The text tells us this man had everything. He had position. He had esteem. He had adulation, success. He had bravado and bravery and courage. But he also had something else. He had leprosy. He had leprosy, the the skin disease that made him unclean. And, And so this man, not only did he have leprosy, but he was also from Syria. He was from a place that would war with Israel. He was a Gentile. And so we find this Gentile by the sovereignty of God coming to the prophet of Israel. And as he came, he was healed of his leprosy as we hear in our text. But something greater happened to him. He came to faith in Jesus. He came to faith in the one true God. Now, this doesn't surprise us because we know the Word of God and we know God's plan of redemption has always been for the Jew first, but also for the Greek or Gentile. But think if you were a Jew in that day and you heard of this. This commander, the army of Syria, believes. He has come to believe in Jehovah God, the God of Israel. And so we are reminded of this fact. God is gracious to whomever He chooses to be gracious to. Jew, Gentile, those in high standing, those in low standing. And so there are five things I want us to see this morning from this text. And the first thing we, we see is God's sovereignty in verses 1 through 4. We find at the end of verse 1 that Naaman, this great commander uh, of the army of Syria, had leprosy. And he had a, a reputation, a nationwide Reputation At the end of verse 1, by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now being a leper made a man unclean. In Israel, such a man could not be around anyone else. He would be put outside of the camp or the city. He would remain there until the priest had said to him that he was clean. But, but we see here that this great man has the skin disease. And, and what do we find? We find him, by the sovereignty of God, being led to Elisha. But even before that, what do we find? We find that God is sovereign in what we might call The big events of life. After all, God is Israel's God, but yet God directs what happens in Syria. Did you notice that it was the Lord who had given victory to Syria through this man? And so God is sovereign over the the big events, but then we see that He's also sovereign over the small events circumstances of life because we hear of a girl in the household of Naaman, a servant of the wife of Naaman. This girl had been kidnapped from her home by the Syrians. She'd been taken away in, in and she'd been taken away and, and she works in the service of Naaman's wife. She was taken in one of the raids. And so here is this young girl 
And she knows of her master's condition. But she also knows that there's a prophet in Samaria. That prophet by the name of Elisha. She said to her mistress in verse 3, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now the writer here is drawing a contrast, the first of several contrasts in our text. And the first contrast is between Naaman, a great man, and a servant girl. Naaman was a great man before his master, and this young girl was serving his wife. And so she had a concern for her master. But she knew of someone, as she was burdened with his condition, she knew of someone who could help him. She knew of a prophet. In Samaria. And so Naaman goes and tells his Lord. Of this prophet that he heard of in verse 4. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And so we see God is sovereign over the big events. He's sovereign over international politics. And he's sovereign over individual circumstances. He's sovereign over world affairs. After all, he gave victory to Syria. And he's sovereign over personal dilemmas that we face. In other words, both the big picture and the minor details belong to the sovereignty of God. This little girl had been brought into the life of Naaman and she spoke at just the right time and and we know what is about to transpire. And all of this happened by God's sovereignty. But then the second thing we see is the king of Israel's despair in verses 5 through 8. The, the king of Syria tells Naaman, go now and I'm going to send a letter. And so he sends a letter, not only a letter, but, but Naaman took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. Now why? Well, Naaman knew, as did the king of Syria, that nothing was done for free. Somebody had to have their pockets lined with money. There's nothing new under the sun today, is there, in politics. They they knew how to play the game. And so the, the king of Syria sends Naaman to the king of Israel because thinking that probably if if there was someone in Israel, any prophet worth his salt in Israel, that prophet would be connected to to the king. And so he sends all this and he sends a letter and and the king is devastated. Did you understand that? When he read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make a lie? And this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. Now the king is thinking that the king of Syria is only wanting to fight him, to enter into a fight, that the king of Israel would not be able to cure this man and that would lead to an international incident. And so now we come to the second contrast. We go back to that little slave girl and her faith in God, her faith in the prophet 
of Samaria. But now we see that the king of Israel is in despair. He said that little girl was full of expectation and confidence. Israel's king, whom we, who is not named here, is full of dread and dismay. And so Elisha hears of this and he comes to the king and he says, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me. Well, notice the king didn't seek out Elisha. Elisha sought out the king. Elisha took the initiative. And so this king who should know of the power of God and should have faith in God, he has no faith. This king is the epitome of the unbelieving, unseeking attitude of Israel of that day. And he lived his life without recourse to the one true God. Now that leads us to the third thing we see, and it's this, God's ways are offensive. We see that in a way that Elisha and Naaman come together. Naaman, as Elisha hears of this man needing to be cured, he calls for Naaman, and Naaman comes with his horses and his chariots, and he stands at the door of Elisha's house. And what did Elisha do? Did he go outside and greet him and fall before his face? No. He said, tell him this. He didn't even come out of his house. Now here's Naaman, a great warrior for Syria. A great general in the Syrian army. And Elisha the prophet will not even give him the time of day to come out of his house and speak with him face to face. He simply sends a message. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. And so we see this did not sit well with Naaman. And so God's ways are offensive because first of all, God's ways humble our, humbles our pride. What did the first thing God had to do to us in order to bring us to faith in Christ? Well, He gave us a heart of, of faith. He changed our heart. But then He humbled us. He showed us that we're not as important as we thought we were. He showed us that we were not capable of doing what we were in need of doing. And that is to save ourselves. And Naaman was thinking, who does this man think he is? Now, how do we know that Naaman was angry? Well, in verse 11. We read, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He said, I was sure this prophet would come and meet me. Surely he knows who I am. But then God's ways are offensive because God's ways reverse our expectations. Did you hear what Naaman thought would happen with that? Elisha would come out, wave his hands, perform some magic trick, and, and Naaman would be cured of his leprosy. Naaman had it all worked out in his head. Elisha would come, bow down before him, do his magical trick, and he would be healed. 
He wanted something more than a word of promise. That's what Elisha gave him. He gave him a word of promise. But Naaman, he wanted the razzle and the dazzle. He wanted something done to acknowledge who he was. And Elisha just said, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Now this didn't sit well with Naaman. Did you catch that in verse 12? Why does that have to be the Jordan? Are there better rivers in Damascus? Are there cleaner rivers in Damascus? Could I not just go and, and wash in them and be clean? And all this, he turned away and he was angry. And probably if not for his servants, he would have went back to Syria with his leprosy. His servants in verse 13, My father is great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said you wash and be clean? And so you can almost see Naaman going, okay, I will go. Walking down with his head down and he goes and he washes and he dips himself seven times. And what happens? The man of God's, of God's word came true. The word of Elisha came true. And Naaman was cleansed. And then the fourth thing we see is this. God's work is effective. We see that in verses 15 through 19. Because what happened after Naaman was cleansed, he, he goes back and he stands before the man of God. He stands before Elisha. And, and in verses 15 through 19, he calls himself a servant of Elisha no less than, than, than five times. And he gives a confession of faith. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept a present from me. Now, Elisha would not accept that present. Why? Because Elisha was trying to teach Naaman something. What he was te trying to teach Naaman was this, that, that God cannot be bought. And that the grace of God cannot be bought. He wanted Naaman to know it was by the grace of God that he was healed. And, and, and Naaman persisted. And Elisha said, no, I will not take your gift. So Naaman said, well, if you will not take mine, will you give me some dirt? Did you find that strange? He wants two loads of dirt. Why? Why did he want dirt? Because he was taking that dirt from Israel back to Syria. And somewhere near his house, he was going to place that dirt. And what was he going to do? He was going to worship the one true God in Syria. And so we see here, this man was changed. Yes, his leprosy was healed but also he was changed on the inside. He is a different man. He will no longer worship those false gods that he found in his nation. He was going to worship Jehovah, the one true God. And another way we know of his conversion is his sensitivity. In verse 18, what do we read? We, ask this, we see this man asking Elisha for forgiveness. For pardon. Because in his duty, he would have to go in with his master and worship or be there at the, at the worship of a false God. 
And he said, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servants in this matter. Now some get very upset with this and say, well, he should have quit his job. Well, maybe in time, but at this moment, he was still under the service of the king. And he knew what that entailed. He knew he had to go into that place where this God was worshipped and he's asking God to pardon him of that, that he will no longer be worshipping that false God. Again, why did he want the dirt to worship Jehovah? And we see Elisha just tells him this, go in peace. What was that saying to this man? Your pardon. Go in peace. Then we see a, fourth, a fifth thing and the final thing, and that is danger. That is the danger of God's grace. We, get, we hear of Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. He comes back into the picture. He has heard that Elisha did not accept the gifts that were offered by Naaman. And so Gehazi decides, well, I'm going to get some of those gifts for myself. And he goes, he runs down Naaman, and Naaman asks him, is all well? He says, all is well. And then he tells a lie. My master sent me to you to, to gather some things because two, two of the sons of the prophets, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come. He's asked for a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, well, yes, I, I will give it to him. Here, take that silver, take this clothing. And Gehazi comes back and he hides it. And he hides what he has taken and he goes in and he stands before Elisha and Elisha says, where have you been? I haven't been anywhere. Children, don't you hate it when your parents ask you, what were you doing? Nothing. But they know exactly what you were doing. Same thing here. I haven't been anywhere. And Elisha said, yes, you have because my spirit was, was there and I know what you have done. I know that you have accepted this money and these gifts. And notice what he asked. Was it time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, uh, uh, sheep and ox and male servants and female servants? And, and was it time? And the answer was no. Again, Naaman needed to know that the grace of God could not be bought. One commentator said this, it was because Gehazi was undoing what God had done that his punishment was so severe. God wanted Naaman to know his free grace, but Gehazi was trying to put a price on the goodness of God. The God of Israel did not accept bribes. He would not be manipulated by money or make room for human pride. His grace was free. Gehazi was implying otherwise and it would be at great cost to him. And that cost was the fact that the, the leprosy of Naaman would cling to Gehazi. And not only Gehazi, but did you notice, to his descendants Forever. Gehazi left from the presence of the prophets a leper like snow. Now what application can we make here 
this morning. We'll see how this text is concerning the grace of God. Again, the last few texts, we have been concerned with God's grace being shown through Elisha, the prophet. And we see that this morning to Naaman. And the first thing we understand is this, that God's grace is marvelous. You understand that, you realize that here this morning, Naaman experienced the marvelous grace of God and he was converted from an idolater to a worshiper of the one true God. I think for many of us, we look back at our unbelieving life and we would say this, I, I wasn't an idolater. But you didn't have faith in Jesus. And so you may have been worshiping God, but you were not worshiping Him in the way that He commands you to come to Him, and that is through a mediator. And it was only by the grace of God that, that, that God came and He interfered in our lives, and He gave us that marvelous grace, and He turned us from an idolater to a worshiper of the one true God. You see, our definition of idolatry is too narrow. We think of someone who is bowing before a, a, a statue. But again, an idolater is anyone who worships anyone or anything else than the one true God. Naaman was turned away from his idolatry and unbelief. And he was turned away by that marvelous grace of God. And so were we. But then second of all, we see that God's grace is free. Understand that. God's grace is free this morning. It is freely Offer to all of us who have gathered together this day. But yet there's so many who want that grace to cost. There are even those in the evangelical church that want the grace of God to cost you something, but it costs us nothing. It costs God everything. You see, if we think that we add anything, anything, no matter how good it may be, to our salvation, then we are saying the grace of God is no longer free but can be bought. If we say that we believe in Jesus but also must be baptized. We are to be baptized as a commandment of God, but yet... If we're not baptized and, and, and we come to faith in Christ and we go out this morning and we die in a car wreck, we're going to heaven. There, there, there are groups, there are all kinds of groups outside of the church. Some think that they, they are part of the church or at least some think that you can be a part of certain groups. I, I think of, of the Masonic Lodge. There are many men today who are in evangelical churches who are a part of that. And they shouldn't be. Listen to the end of a funeral prayer that is asked after one dies. That we may be received into thine everlasting kingdom to enjoy in union with the souls of departed friends the just reward of a pious and virtuous life. That just made grace cost something. The grace of God is free. And the grace of God is freely given in God's sovereignty to all that He will give it. We add nothing to God's free grace for our salvation. And if we did, then it would no longer be grace, would it? It would be something that we do. 
You know, this morning we are coming to the Lord's Supper. And we do so because we are commanded by God to come. But coming to the Supper doesn't add anything to the salvation that Jesus has given us. It's a means of grace. It conforms us more to the image. But us coming to the supper is not what saves us. We've been saved by Jesus Christ and His blood. And we come out of thankfulness. And so we're not to add anything to the free grace of God. Then finally, God's grace can be quite dangerous as well. It was for Gehazi. He thought he could get away with lying to Elisha that that as God had been gracious to Naaman, that he could reap some of the rewards of what Naaman was offering. And so God's grace to Naaman was turning to judgment for Gehazi. A judgment that passed through his family. If there are still descendants of Gehazi today, they would be lepers. Because God said it would. And so Naaman, he came to know the one true God. He came and knew of the one true God through the grace of God. And that is the only way that any of us can know God this morning. We know of His grace. We know of Christ. And so do you know of that free grace that is offered to you this morning from Jesus. You see, whenever Christ is proclaimed, He's offered to you in the Gospel. And every time you hear those words and, and you're called to come to Christ in faith and repentance and, and you say, well, maybe not today. I just, I, not today, tomorrow. Or I'll, I'll do so at the end of life. But then it'll be too late. You see, Naaman, he could have went back to Syria thinking he was too prideful to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. He could have went back, and if he had went back to Syria, what would have remained on him? Leprosy. But he humbled his pride, and he went to the Jordan River, and he washed. And he was white as snow. And he was clean. The snow had left him. He was clean as a baby. Why? Because God was gracious to him. And God is gracious to sinners. And that is the great news of the gospel. That is what is before us this morning. Again, in the Lord's Supper. The grace of God to sinners. Who are sinners? We all are. And we are in need of that grace. And so come to Christ. Come to Him this day as you turn from your sins. And as you do so, you'll be clean. You'll be clean from the inside. And you will know of that free grace and salvation that God gives to us through Jesus. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let us pray. Lord, we... Thank you that even in the Old Testament we can see your gospel. And Father, we have a great picture of that this morning as you made Naaman clean. 
Oh God, I pray if there are any here today that need to be cleansed, that You would make them clean. That You would do so through Jesus. Oh God, as we come to Your table, may we come thankful for Your free grace that You have given to us. And may we know that it costs You everything. And it costs the Lord Jesus. And we thank You for the cost. We thank You, O oh God, what you were willing to do to save us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.